the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Normally alongside Ian Simpkins, I am Brian Fromm. I I remain Brian Fromm, but Ian Simpkins is not here. Uh, Ian is gone for a couple days. He He is. Simpkins. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. He is away for a couple days uh, teaching at a high school camp for his church, for Community Christian Church. So be praying for Ian. Uh, Be praying that he not only is able to share the gospel clearly, but uh, he at his advanced age can survive a uh, high school camp. (laughs) I'm not sure I could at this moment. But anyway, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever you do your podcast, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Go ahead and rate, uh, write, rate, review, subscribe. We would appreciate that. Well, while Ian is gone, I'm going to do some of the segments by myself, but it is also an opportunity to invite friends in here, other people in ministry, have some interesting conversations. So we are going to be joined for the next hour. Well, we're assuming this could go poorly. We could say something bad. We could, you know, you can get bored with each other, whatever else it might be. Uh, but my coworker here at the station, but also a longtime friend, Dan Ehrman, is here joining us. How are you, buddy? I'm really well. Good to be here with you today and uh, excited to come on the show. Yeah. I love listening to you guys and you guys do good work here. It's been encouraging and uh, it, Honored to join you. But Dan, Dan has to say good things because he was one of the initial recruiters of Ian and I. So <laughs> so you can either thank him or blame him. He was one of the uh, early ones. <laughs> Don't peg this on me. I know. <laughs> it was one of the early ones. People be like, how'd you guys get together with German? <laughs> so Dan has quite the background. And so I guess I want to start there. Um, give us a little bit of your history, where, where you've come from, the various jobs you've done. Uh, and then end it here with the role at the station. You actually have a show here that we're going to talk a little bit more about. But why don't you get us kind of, you know, Reader's Digest version of how you got here. So my uh, my parents are strong Christians. My mom was a Moody grad. My dad owns a company that designs and builds church buildings yes. around Chicago. And so I grew up in this home where like super strong Christian parents who are involved with all kinds of ministry stuff. And I work with my dad a little bit growing up and ended up working with maybe 150 churches over the course of 15 or 20 years with him and in conversation with hundreds of churches around Chicago, uh, went to Bible college. I uh, went went to China for a couple of years, came back, went to grad school at Wheaton College Mm. and tied into all kinds of church stuff. And then uh, the economy dipped. Um, I took a step aside, um, you know, 
working with churches is hard. Yeah. In, working in, in churches is hard. <laughs> it, it, right. And, and so the, the back end of the business of church is messy sometimes yeah. and it can get painful and it's involves spiritual and the money and, and all the rest. And that's tough. So I took a step away. I was working retail and wow. you know, unloading trucks at two in the morning with my graduate degree. You know, oh it, it was, uh, uh, I was thankful for God's provision in that season. But after about a year and a half, I started to pray, okay, God, what's next? And um, I, I remember one night praying, um, trying to fall asleep, and God almost prompted me, like, well, what do you want to do? Mm. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Here's a dozen characteristics of a job, and I don't know what job that is, and so you're going to have to bring it to me. And then I fell asleep, forgot about it. Two weeks later, uh, the station reached out to me. Wow. And I, uh, I kind of ignored them a couple times. Uh, they came back and did the whole Christian pray about it thing and uh, prayed about it and uh, instantly remembered after I prayed six weeks before that prayer and how this job lined up with so many of those characteristics. And I was like, well, God, give me courage to move yeah. forward on it. And so that, that really pushed me forward. And uh you know, my last day working retail, I said, I've got the bathrooms. I'm going to clean the bathrooms and <laughs> kind of kiss the job goodbye, you know, nice. kind of a little cocky, maybe whatever. Um, and remember three quarters of the way through, I'm sweating, doing a good job. The goal is like, mom can use the bathroom yeah. when you're done and realize that I'm having a deep sense of pleasure in doing like this menial labor well as under the Lord in that sense Mm. of of doing my job well. And that, that pleasure came not from cleaning a toilet well, but by cleaning that toilet as unto Jesus. Mm. And so I I just sense God saying to me, as you go into this more public arena of Christian radio, that your fullness is not going to come from doing this public work for God's glory in a bigger platform, but the one that you're doing it for gives it worth and value. Mm. Oh, that's really good, man. And now one of the things you get to do here at the station uh, is you host a show uh, that interestingly was my first ever uh, introduction to radio around here in WYLL. I remember you came out to my church and uh, tell us more about that. It's called leading the church. Yeah. And uh, you just get the pleasure of interviewing pastors. And that has got to be a bit of a strange thing. Sometimes a fun thing, a crazy thing, a little bit of everything. I know enough pastors in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know them all yet. Yes. So it, I, I love it. It's, it's so fun. Of Initially it was a job of, you know, how do we connect with pastors? And then it really shifted into, I don't want to just connect with pastors that connect with me. I want to connect to what is God doing in the world? One of the things my dad coached me on um, growing up was, you know, look for what is God doing in the world around you and then align yourself to where God is moving. And so, so much of this show is saying, what do you like? What's God's story in your life? What do you see God doing in the local church? And then as a radio station, how do we align to what God is doing in the church in Chicago to become part of just what God is about in in the conversation in Chicago? And so with every pastor, uh, you know, it's a diverse group of pastors. I I aim for half the pastors to be minority leaders in in churches. Um, But you also end up interacting with pastors from a diverse theological background. And so the common thread in that diversity is Jesus. Mm. And so the attraction is Jesus. And you say, okay, how do you come to follow Jesus? Yeah. And what does it look like 
uh, for Jesus to enter into your life? And then what has he called you into in that journey? And what do you see him doing? That's and good. and it, it, that unifies the church. Yeah. So how many pastors have you interviewed at this point? Because just Chicagoland, right? Which Yeah, it's just Metro on. Chicago, about 130, something like that. That's awesome. That is wild. I remember when you came out to my church. And we sat in like a kid's room. We were literally like on little kids' chairs. <laughs> and yes. I don't know if you remember this, but you're like, can I come out and interview? I'm like, sure, man, that'd be fun. Because uh, you and I go back, you know, ways before that. And and uh, I remember for some reason I woke up that day and I had like a bad cold and couldn't talk. And I, you came in and I said, I'm going to sound like a frog, man. Like, this is going to be bad. And like, I'm like, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brian Fry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not smoke, a smoker. I'm a smoking pastor. <laughs> what, uh, uh, I, I want to, in our next, uh, in our next segment, I want to dive into some of the stuff you've learned, some commonalities from pastors, but, uh, give the particulars of it. When does it air? How can people yeah. find past episodes? Maybe they're like, maybe my pastor's done it and they can go back. Where can people find it? Uh, yeah. whether it be live or archived. So if you're a podcaster, uh, whatever platform you use, look for Leading the Church, and it's got kind of a skyline of Chicago oh, cool. in the logo. And then uh, on on our website, 1160hope.com, look again for Leading the Church as part of the program lineup. It airs on Saturday nights at 6.30 p.m., and mm-hmm. then it re-airs again Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m., uh, new episodes, and then uh, a few nights a week, it airs at 10 p.m. where we re-air old episodes. So. I was once driving in my car, <laughs> and it, uh, this is the God's honest truth, man. I was driving in my car, and I had the station on, and it was you. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. It was an older one. And all of a sudden, I'm like, it took me like two minutes to be like, oh, wait, that's me he's talking to. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Well, coming up next, we've got Dan Herman. He's going to stay with us here in studio. Uh, and I want to dive more. You're kind of the, uh, you won't like this title, but you're a bit of an expert in the in the Church of Chicago here, having talked to all these pastors. So what we're going to ask Dan next is, what are some common threads you're hearing? What are some common things you're hearing from pastors? And eventually, we're going to ask, are you encouraged? Or do you meet with 130 plus pastors and leave discouraged about the future of the church? That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Now I feel like John is just messing with us now that Ian's not here with his music. Thank you. Just, just messing with us now. I really have no control over these moments. <laughs> tenured with his modest mouse yes. over here. <laughs> that, music, that music felt good, and then it took a weird turn. I was it's like, the buzzing. I, yes. I got to remove that. It's the buzzing. It's a that weird. One. Yeah. Somewhere, is somewhere, that what you call that? Someone, somewhere Ian is just laughing. Somewhere he's just laughing. Well, anyway, my name is Brian Fromm. Ian Simpkins is away for the week. Uh, so joined by different guests. And today we are joined in studio by Dan Ehrman. Dan, uh, in the last segment, we talked about how Dan uh, is on staff here at WYLL, WYLL. I find it hard to say that fast. WYLL. AM 1160. AM 1160. Hope for your life. And uh, he, as part of his role here, he hosts a show called Leading the Church. And what leading the church is, I'd really encourage you to go listen to some of the podcast or whatever else. What it is, is Dan goes uh, at, and meets with pastors in the Chicagoland and just talks to them. And it's a really fascinating, diverse, big church, small group, uh, small group, small church, uh, white, black, Hispanic, rich, poor, inner city, suburbs, all over the place. And I find it really fascinating to listen to these. So I'd encourage you to do so. So you were giving us some of the particulars of that. Here's what I'm interested in. Uh, and you touched on this in the first segment, but uh, you've kind of almost have, you're probably the only person in the Chicagoland who has talked to all these pastors. 
Like, there's probably nobody else who has just sat down with 130 pastors. I'm probably the person with the least expertise who sat down (laughs) with that many pastors. You'll have people who are, you know, actual church experts, the Ed Stetzers of the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. But um, I'm curious if you have found some commonality. Uh, What are common things that you're hearing from pastors, whether it's common discouragements, common encouragements? Uh, I'm kind of curious about the kind of the present. We'll deal with the future later, but kind of the present uh, landscape that you're finding that pastors are having in the kind of the landscape of the church. So I tend to gravitate toward the church planting world is, mm-hmm. is a little my focus. And in, in that world, uh, y- you tend to see um, people on mission mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people engaged in a really deep way. Uh, I think for the mainline churches, you see people um, trying to hold on and trying mm-hmm. to be faithful um, in, uh, you know, your Interesting. kind of maybe Protestant, uh, you know, typical Protestant mm-hmm. church, uh, community church with, you know, mid-sized, if you will. Yep. I, I think you see a lot of struggles with the budget and navigating. How do you engage uh, people and, and it really, I, I think we're in a season of the church where um, within evangelical circles, preaching the word has been faithful for generations mm-hmm. and is, is a high value and has done well. Uh, where you see more of a challenge is in areas of fellowship and discipleship. And so I think that the the real challenge of this generation in the church is how do you make disciples in a you know the under the other 167 hours of the week yeah and doing disciple making when you're allocating 85 to 90 percent of your budget to put on a show mm-hmm. for an hour mm-hmm. and so what is it to be church what is it to be a disciple of jesus and then what is it to be in um in actual fellowship with one yeah. another like people don't know how to hang out and have a barbecue anymore mm-hmm. they don't know how to practice hospitality they don't know how to um Lead each other toward Jesus. Yeah. What are some, uh, put you on the spot here, maybe you don't even need to use the name of a church, but what are some of the churches that you think are doing disciple making well? What are some of the commonalities there? How are they doing that? Because there's probably a lot of pastors out there going, yeah, man, I don't know how to make disciples. I don't know how to do anything outside of Sunday morning. This is really hard. What do you see some of the, what you would consider the more impressive churches in your mind doing well? Disciple making is not about having the perfect system. Mm -hmm. You can't metric out disciple making. Like if you, you can cut, you can take some metrics and, and focus on them. But the reality of disciple making, uh, one person who's an expert on this is KJ Johnson. He and I Mm -hmm. were just chatting this week. So this is fresh on the mind. So KJ, thank you for letting me steal this. Um, (laughs) But of looking at, uh, when you disciple well, it's a matter of some people need one-on-one discipleship. Some people need, discipleship in a, in a small accountability group, three or four people. Some people need a small group context. Some people need the sermon on Sunday. Yep. Some people uh, need a special event. And, uh, you know, it, it, all of that is discipleship. And and so it's not like there's a, a magic bullet on it. Mm-hmm. It's all of that. And having that, that focus on Jesus and dr- driving people toward Jesus, driving people toward getting engaged in mm-hmm. the Bible and then applying the Bible into their life. Yeah. And so there's not like a church that has a, a, a target on this. When you go, yep. I remember chatting with the pastor of a large church recently. Who's like, Oh, I just sat down with the pastor of these other five large churches that everybody listening would know. Yep. And 
uh, we're all talking about that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm talking about it at my church, in, you know, Willow Creek and Crystal Lake. And yeah. so I, I don't think that there's a corner on that. It's a, a hunger for it. Yes. Though, and that's that common thread that you're encouraged by. Yeah, absolutely. I do sense that as I meet with other pastors, just this longing to get it right and and not I was just having this talk with someone this morning or yesterday morning going, sometimes people think like, if we just add this, if we just do that, if we just do that. And I'm like, there's no magic bullet. Like it's, it's how it's been since the beginning. It's relational. It's, it's work. And it might be adding just that for that person for right now, but that isn't going to fix it six months from now. Yep. yep. (laughs) Uh, Another thing I'm curious about, you've done a lot of um, meeting with people in the inner city of Chicago. You've done a lot of meeting with people like me out in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, minority um, versus white, all sorts of stuff. I'm curious, what are the things you see going on, particularly in Chicago, mm-hmm. in the city? And how is that similar and or different from the churches you see out in the suburbs? So part of what I see is my calling here is to work toward the unity of the church in Chicago. Mm. And there are some faithful men and women in the church, in minority led churches in Chicago who are bridging between majority culture and their context and trying to build bridges of here's how God is working. Mm. And part of what I want to do is meet them halfway and say, I see how you're stepping out. I see how someone like Charlie dates, who is a teaching pastor at at, under Reverend Meeks at Salem went to Trinity for his, his doctorate Trinity in Deerfield Mm. and studied with a bunch of white guys predominantly yeah, yeah. and and now is bridging between those worlds and God is going to use him and huh. is using him in dynamic ways. And, and not to compare myself to a Charlie dates by sure, any sure, stretch, sure. the man can preach. You don't want me to preach, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, but in, in terms of bridging, yeah. like what can we do to bridge as a church and say, like, let's celebrate the image of God there. You know, that said the Chicago is rough mm-hmm. and you've got five neighborhoods in Chicago predominantly where like 80% of violent crime occur. Wow. And, uh, there's a deep need for prayer mm. and it's very easy to go to a North side enclave where you have affluent neighborhoods or you can go to Wheaton where I grew up yep. or I live in Crystal Lake and that's foreign. I mean, it, it I lived in China and that seems more close to home than some of those those wow. five neighborhoods yeah. in, in, in terms of the violence. And so engaging with that as a church, I love watching uh, right now Pastor Omel Williams at Lilydale Progressive uh, Missionary Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago is good friends with Derek Bukema at Orland Park uh, Christian Reformed Church. Wow. And they're both influential pastors, influential churches. Yeah. And not only have they preached at each other's churches and invested in each other's ministry, but they've also taken their elder boards and done co-elder training together oh, wow. to engage into community in a, in a deeper, more authentic way. What does it look like that yeah. for the church, for that little microcosm to explode across the board? In that's Chicago? really cool. That's, that's, that's both challenging and encouraging at the same time. And uh, that that's good. Well, Dan's going to stay with us. Coming up next, uh, we're going to continue. I, I just love the insight into the church in Chicago and the Chicago land area. And we're going to continue that conversation next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Ian Simpkins, my normal co-host, is... 
uh, away for a couple days at a youth camp teaching uh, students from his church, a community Christian church. So we hope and pray that that goes well uh, up there in northern Wisconsin. Uh, I'm joined. I'll have a couple different co-hosts and guests over the course of the next couple days uh, today. Very excited to be joined in studio by a uh, friend and coworker here at Hope for your, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, uh, Dan Ehrman. Uh, we've been talking about Dan's show uh, that he does here at the, at the station called Leading the Church, which you said 130 uh, pastors you've met with. Basically, Dan goes uh, to various pastors' churches across the Chicagoland and just interviews pastors. It is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, I had the pleasure of doing that, like, I don't know, two or three years ago, probably by now. And uh, and it's given Dan an unbelievable kind of insight into the, sh- the church of the Chicagoland, not each of our individual churches, but the church of the Chicagoland. And so we uh, we talked before about common themes. And before we jump to the future, I want to ask you this question. Uh, what effect has this show had on you? Encur- mm. Is it encouraging? Discouraging? Does it make you excited about the church? Does it uh, may, uh, discourage you about the church? A little bit of both. What's it do to you? Well, I get a u- unique insight into which pastors have the best offices. Yep, I don't even Chicago. have an office, man. <laughs> it's not Brian. No, it's not. I don't even have one. I, I'm, I'm going to go with Todd Wilson from uh, Calvary uh, Memorial Church in right? Oak Park. It, it basically, you feel like you're going into Hogwarts and he has like oh, the giant stone uh, fireplace and it, He's a his, fireplace in his office? His office is like the size of my house. It's, <laughs> <laughs> That's He's, awesome. Actually, Todd's not the pastor there now. He's uh, now stepped down to lead uh, the Center for Pastor Theologians, which wow. was a, con- a conference in the fall. And I will say, if you are interested in ministry and you want to see the bridge between the academy and the church, yeah. that's it in wow. America. And and Todd is leading the charge on that, and it is still um, uses offices out of out of there, but not not that office now. That's but, awesome. Uh, that's that's awesome. a total aside. But uh, you know, more to your your question of, uh, I'm encouraged, Good. and. It becomes something of, I learned early on working with my dad and working through discouragement of watching stuff with churches and business and finance. And, um, you know, when you when you design and build church buildings, you get into the mess. Right. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're unpacking all of these these elements at play. And so as a, even as a teenager, I had to deal with people that I felt like weren't doing business how I'd want them to do. And yet you watch them get up and they're faithfully preaching the mm-hmm. Bible and people are coming to follow Jesus yep. and the church growing and being blessed and being like, what's going on? You yeah, know, God, yeah. how can you allow this to happen? But it, it made me realize that um, the word of God doesn't return void. Mm. And so when people preach the word of God and when Paul says, you know, I don't care who they preach or how they preach, if they're preaching Jesus, then hooray. Yeah. Like that's reality. Yep, that's, yep. that's the spiritual reality. Right. And so we have a God who to his glory takes broken people mm. in a broken system yeah. in a, you know, this broken church, this mm. broken mechanism and says, I'm going to arrive in it and it will be my church. Yeah. It will be my people. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing God use the church um, across Chicago to draw people to himself that none should perish, but all reach repentance. Mm. And when you see God at work, not when you see the church at work, but when you see God at work through the church, there's an attraction to there that 
Jesus' invitation to grace and to his love and to his death and resurrection is yeah. winsome in the deepest way that meets men and women um, at the soul level and says, come follow me. That's awesome. That's and good, man. That's the encouragement. Yeah, that's awesome. So talk to me about the future of the Chicagoland Church. We've got, you know, there have been two big hits in the last year, right? A guy by the name of Bill Hybels and a guy by the name of James McDonald that have really shaken a lot of people, rightfully so. Uh, and I think it's caused a lot of people to go, what is, you know, if if the past and even into the present was kind of about the mega church and who are, you know, Harvest or Willow or whatever, what you know, how do you get bigger and all this stuff? It's kind of shaken a lot of people to go, what is the future of the church? And you're probably having those conversations with a lot of pastors uh, wondering as you look out the landscape, whether it be five years, 20 years, talk to me about what you see uh, or maybe just what you'd like to see. Have those are probably two very different questions, but what do you either see or would you like to see about the church of the Chicago land going forward? So what was, um, I, I love to talk about how, uh, the church sometimes, uh, the attraction is Jesus. And sometimes we build scaffolding around what we see God doing in the world mm-hmm. and God is dynamic. And so when our world shifts, he shifts with the time to meet people and draw them to himself. And sometimes we start to worship our scaffolding that we've created. Wow, that's good. And sometimes we need to dismantle that scaffolding and move with God, with what he's calling us to do in the world mm-hmm. and be, and, and be just aware of that dynamic. Mm. Um, and I, I think even in saying that you can end up wrecking things that should be there. And, you know, you see some churches that have strong, uh, uh, history and strong tradition. And I'm not trying to knock that down and say, you have to throw that away. I I, I think we have an unchanging God, um, from generation to generation, Mm -hmm. but how we engage with our culture, uh, can shift. And so we need to be aware of, of what is the spiritual church and what is, uh, you know, that, that scaffolding that, yeah. that can be temporary. Yeah, that's good. Uh, something you said earlier caught my attention because you were talking about meeting with a lot of pastors in the city, pastors in the suburbs, and you talked about how there are some churches that have tithe, tie-ins together. Do you think that that is uh, something that, are, are you sensing that's something that's happening more often? Uh, or is it usually suburban churches are in the suburbs, city churches are in the city? And do you think that is something that should happen more often? Or are they just so different that, you know, it's hard to pull that off. I'm celebrating it because it doesn't happen enough. There you go. Uh, I love it. I love seeing it. The challenge becomes uh, sometimes a suburban church that's more affluent can take a posture where they feel like they're going to help yes. the church in the city and, you know, somehow come alongside them and help them out rather than coming to them and saying, we don't know. Mm. Your place. How do I learn from you? How do we learn from each other in Jesus and in taking a more humble posture as a church? That's tough to do. And you have to coach and train individuals through that uh, to take that posture well so that it's not condescending as a white suburban church coming to save a minority church in a, in a rough neighborhood. Like they don't need you to save. They've been faithfully preaching the gospel from generation to generation. And God is moving in those places, but there's brokenness in, in, in neighborhoods and spiritual strongholds of darkness in, in places. And so, you know, to engage in that is complicated. I don't have solutions, but I want to I want to move into what do we see God doing and celebrate those wins. That's really good. I don't know if you've ever talked to, I'm trying to remember his name. Have you ever talked to Tim Hoekstra down at Suburban Life 
church right by me in Downers or Darien. They've got a tie in with that with a city church that I don't know which church it is. And it's been for like years and they mm-hmm. they on Sundays they flip at each other. So they're ma- suburban people are having to drive down to the city. City people are having to drive out here. It's a lot of that mutuality that that uh, it's got to be hard. <laughs> it's got to be really hard to pull off. I have a hard enough time pulling off Sunday morning at my own place or whatever else. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I'm, I'm I'm curious how what the future of that looks like, and uh, yeah, it's going to be good stuff. Well, coming up next, Dan's going to stay with us for one more segment. Uh, Dan's got a hand also here at a lot of conferences, so we're going to ask him if there's any coming up, uh, and then I'm going to throw him a little bit of a curveball, something that's been on my mind that I'm not even going to tell him about just yet. That's what's coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. We were surrounded you. by white guys dancing. That is it. Yeah. You can tell our producer knows he's no longer the interim by the dancing he's doing with every everything here. <laughs> so. For some reason, this one just it just makes you want to. It influences my mood pretty good. immensely. Well, but. good. Just keep it on a loop then. <laughs> <laughs> That's our producer John that you're going to get to know over the time here, and uh, all the other voice you heard heard there is Dan Orman. Uh, Dan is a coworker here at AM eleven sixty. Uh, where he does a ton of different things, including hosting a weekly show uh, called Leading the Church, in which he meets with pastors all across the Chicagoland area. Another thing you do here at the station is you've got your hand in all sorts of conferences, whether we're putting them on or whether we're partnering with another organization, or sometimes you just find yourself at conferences to kind of network and stuff. So uh, are there anything that people would love to go to that, that you could talk about? Any conferences coming down the road here? There's always conferences <laughs> going on. As a pastor, I can attest to that. <laughs> and it, to the extent where, you know, I, part of my work is to look for it and yeah. it can become super saturated to, you know, there, there's so many good opportunities to, to dig in deeper. And, and so it's picking your spots. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. Um, so I would say one of the uh, conferences I've enjoyed um, in the last year was, uh, was it the Jude three, mm. uh, conference where, um, uh, Lisa Fields heads that up and essentially it's built around conversations, um, led by African American intellectuals and pastors mm. from both liberal and conservative wow. contexts coming together to have conversations um, about the Lord and, and to try to build into each other and build that conversation where you might not normally yeah. cross over between the liberal and conservative That's worlds in the African-American church. Uh, so I thought that was super dynamic and, and to see uh, the, the work that she has done there, uh, I've just been really encouraged by that. Interesting. And, and that um, Wheaton College did the GC2 conference uh, reflections last fall. I remember that, yeah. And that, digging into um you know just brokenness in in the church particularly in in sexuality and yeah that was a big one uh that was huge uh for for us this fall we do our our lift conference and you know some of those conferences impact how we um frame what we want to bring to pastors how do we build into pastors and so you know some of those ideas of leadership in crisis yeah. are really going to be at the forefront of that this fall. That's awesome. Uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of ways people can find out. It's particularly, I've gotten a lift conference before. It's great. It's good times. And so where can people find out info on that? 
Uh, they can't yet. So Where we'll, will they be able to find out <laughs> uh, information? Our website, 1160hope.com, will be that launch point, and, and then it'll be all over social media. And what's cool about Lyft is we do it for free for yep. pastors. Yep. Uh, that's really a differentiator. Those pastors like free conferences. <laughs> it, it also includes a free lunch, mm-hmm. which like it, no, nothing better than a free you know, you're speaking to the choir, then, man. Yeah. But uh, it, in in that, I you know, it's a it's a conference where if you were to sell tickets for seventy five or a hundred dollars, you wouldn't be out of line. No, it was and, great last year. Yeah, Mark Job, um, uh, Choco De Jesus, right? That's the yep. name. De Jesus was there. Charlie Dates, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was good times, man. Um, all right, here's the one I want to ask you about because I've been wrestling with this. I wrestled with it with a pastor friend of mine today. Uh, you might not know this. There's an election coming up in like 18 months. And I feel like I already feel uh, the discouragement of it, but also the pressure of it. A lot of like swirling. It feels just even different than 16, 2016, let alone the years before that. Uh, what are your thoughts as you talk to pastors and your own thoughts on politics and the pastor? What is the pastoral role as we, especially right now in this culture, whether it be with things in the Chicagoland area, or as we're kind of this, I like to, I'm laying my cards on the table, this death march towards the presidential election of 2020, it feels like to me. I mean, I'm already feeling it like these conversations going on with people that I don't want to have. I tend to be somewhat uh, apolitical with my church. I don't speak from uh, the pulpit, let alone my Facebook page. I have people have literally told me, I have no idea how you vote. And that frustrates them. It encourages me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, all of that, that's a big stew to say, maybe reflect for a minute, your own thoughts, either from what you've experienced in these interviews, but also just how your own, you know, you think for yourself, your own mindset, uh, politics, elections, and the pastor. What do you think? Politics are really important in mm-hmm. America because in a democracy, we have votes and we get to impact um, our communities. Mm-hmm. And the presidential election is this larger, you know, fixation. And some of the realities of politics is things that will never be on the news are the people on your school board. Mm-hmm. And there's incredible dynamic power that they're going to directly influence your kids and their education and what they're exposed to. The mayor of your town, your yeah. alderman. Those things that aren't going to be popular, they're not cool to talk about on talk radio. Mm. That's where you have opportunity to impact the future of your community and what happens in in your home. So I think that is completely overlooked, uh, not only the church, but our our culture as a whole. So I I think that's one thing. Um, I have a funky perspective because I want to hear it. I lived in China for like two years. And so that's right. I got to see the day to day of the reality of like a communist government. And I worked for the government as a government, government employee. Did you really? Um, as a, as an English teacher in inner Mongolia in a city called Huhahauta, Hoha in again. China. Huhahauta. <laughs> That's awesome. You got some phlegm in there, man. That was nice. <laughs> that was good. And, and, but you know, living there, you got to see, how God can use a communist context mm. uh, for his glory and to engage with people there on a day to day. And like, no, you don't have multiple parties and you don't have open conversations about yep. faith, but there's still dynamics where like they make allowances in China for people to have faith. There's the three self church. Mm. Um, that's the government sanctioned church where like they preach the gospel wow. and it's about Jesus and you can go and buy a Bible for a quarter 
Wow, I didn't know that existed in China. No, nobody knows that. No. And that's the reality. Yeah. And like, so it's not, uh, so it, both of those things are, but there's also persecution that yeah. goes on. Yeah. And so when I come to America and I look at the presidential election, I don't see the power residing in the president, whether that's uh, one person or another. Mm-hmm. The power resides in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when when we make much of Jesus in our preaching in the church, mm-hmm. that the the power in the, the principalities and in the powers of our age are only given power mm-hmm. because God has given that over to them. Yeah. And that we we need to have a bigger view of who Jesus is because the Jesus Christ and the gospel that we preach every Sunday faithfully is so much greater and so much more powerful and not on a four year and eight year yeah. term, but on a term into eternity, calling people to follow him and saying, I have come in and I died for you. Mm. I've given my life for you. I'm not taking four years or eight years, or I'm not a Senator for 50 years yeah. trying to make as much money as for my kids <laughs> as I can, but I'm giving everything I have. Everything I have is yours. Yeah. Come and follow me. That's good, man. Come on. That that's where it's at. Johnny's preaching. Preach! He's preaching. <laughs> He's going, he's preaching because I told, I told this to Ian yesterday. I think it was, or two days ago. I mean that like, I, if I'm not careful, this presidential election, I think it's going to break me. As a pastor, it's just going to break me like, yeah, because of not only the discouragement of the rhetoric, but also I really struggle around election time to see Christians care more about the election than my perception is that they care about the gospel and their neighbor. And I can get somewhat jaded by that instead of trying to build into that. Like, hey, let me help you. That's why I love Scott Sauls. We talk about him all the time. Or Scott Scott Sauls has said, uh, if as a Christian, people on the left and on the right aren't mad at you, then you're not doing it right. And I just think we have to we have to hold on. Man, way to preach. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. Well, and there's elements on, you know, whether whether your context is is one way or another, that there are aspects of left and right that reflect the Mago Day. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. We're going to do this again. Uh, this has been Dan Ehrman joining us here to talk the Chicagoland Church. Uh, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, sitting in the chair by myself today. was glad to have Dan Ehrman here uh, during the first hour, but I'm going to fly solo here on the second one. Uh, My normal partner in crime, Ian Simpkins, is uh, up in Wisconsin at a youth camp teaching high school kids for for the next week. Uh, and so he will uh, he will not be here. You'll get to hear a couple different voices through the course of the next couple days. And uh, and that will be fun. It'll be good to have him. But I look forward to having him back here uh, in a little bit. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That is the Common Good 
radio show. That's where we post articles. We have conversation. We love to interact with our listeners. So go ahead, uh, like that page and go ahead and uh, start uh, interacting with us there. You can always text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. 1160hope.com. Find out all the stuff going on at the station, including for our show. And you can always find our podcast at uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get uh, your podcast. We would love to have you uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Well, uh, there was a fascinating clip uh, going around Twitter in the sports world from the Northwestern football coach. His name's Pat Fitzgerald. If, if you're at all a college football fan or in the Chicagoland area, you know Pat Fitzgerald. Years ago, he was an All-American linebacker at Northwestern, and now he's been a highly successful coach of the football program. And uh, Pat Fitzgerald, he's just a a fabulous coach. Uh, But he had a kind of a rant that we're going to play here in a second the other day, and it was around uh, what is the decline in college football attendance. Somebody, he was doing an interview at the Big Ten uh, Media Day, and somebody asked him, what is... The reason for the decline in college football attendance, and there's no other way to put it except he had a little bit of a get off of my lawn type of moment. I'm kind of the old guy and uh, as somebody who's getting older, I kind of appreciated it, but not sure I appreciate I I, uh, agree with everything he said, but uh, he kind of talks about. Uh, phones and technology being the reason for a lot of the problems in our culture, including college football attendance. So when you hear him say these, uh, when we first start this and you hear him say these things, he's talking about phones, he's holding up a phone. Let's listen to kind of this rant a little bit from Pat Fitzgerald. And uh, then uh, I'm, I'm very interested on your thoughts on it. These things. I think phones, I think technology has been the decline in attendance, number one. I think, you know, watching young people today, live like this instead of like that you know Stacey and I were out on a date last night and there was two couples two groups of couples sitting next to us and I'm like oh my gosh I'm old like not one of the four couples were talking to each other they were all on their phones and it just drove me up to I literally wanted to be like a dad and go like give me your phone talk to each other (laughs) I mean this is pathetic so it was really, really pathetic. And I think that's just, it's just changed the way a lot of younger people and younger fans intake is all through technology. And I mean, you watch a concert and everybody's holding their phone up. Like, listen, watch, take it in, create a memory. Because they don't go back and watch the videos. They just want to post it on their social media, which is pathetic because it creates a society of, look at me. Isn't my life great? Even though when they go home, they're like, I hate myself. I hate my life. Everything's wrong. So I think it's a big cause. I think it's, I think it's the root cause, number one. Um, you know, I think the fans that grew up going and tailgating and the fans that grew up going to the stadiums four hours before the games are getting a little older. And I think the next and, and younger generation of fans are more reliant on technology. They'd rather have 12 TVs set up in their in their TV watching cave than go to a game and experience the pageantry and the tailgating. So I think it's definitely things that we, we need to look at as, as, as a brand, college football, on how we can maybe create that type of environment and experience while respecting our communities and our neighborhoods to make sure the experiences that are happening don't impede on those neighborhoods. 
That is uh, Pat Fitzgerald in full Pat Fitzgerald right there. You can see him just getting worked up. A couple different things. I'm not sure that phones or man caves what? or whatever are the reason for declining college football attendance. Although, you know, watching multiple games on multiple TVs on HD and all this, being able to follow it on Twitter, it's a little better than sitting in the rain sometimes. But I think he brings up some bigger, more societal points about the dangers of uh I, there was a show I was listening to, to, to today that was trying to ask the question, are we addicted to our phones? Is there phone addiction going on? And I would say the, a couple of those things that he painted right there, the uh, people being out to dinner and looking at their phones. I don't know, man. Have you ever looked around at, at, at out at a restaurant? Yeah, I, I, of course, agree with that. We've talked numerous times, almost at least three times a week about how we are overconnected and we rely on being constantly entertained and constantly saturated with media uh, connectivity. But to, but to correlate that with the attendance at these games, I mean, first of all, this isn't the professional sports game. This is Ryan field. This is like the, it it is an awesome field, awesome facility. It's a little smaller than the other big 10 stadiums. I think it's 40 something thousand, but anyway, like you're supposed to be appealing to the student body. And he said something about how uh, we're watching it on our man caves, Mm -hmm. like the 12 TV sets. I mean, what college student has 12 TVs? (laughs) I think he's talking about the adults. Okay. The adults. (laughs) But if you, you, who do you want at these games? Just bodies? Yeah. Yeah. I I think everybody's a bit cynical. I mean, it's very evident. I think he is, he, he's taking what he thinks is a bigger issue societally and probably putting it towards everything. Uh, but I do resonate with this whole, I went to, I've talked about it a million times, like a year and a half ago, I went to a Bon Jovi concert and it's the first concert I've been into in forever. Greatest concert I've ever been to. Seriously. Uh, but I hadn't been to this. I hadn't been to a big concert in a long time and it was wild. How many people held up their phones the entire time? Okay. That really actually does bug me. The, the entire time. Or when you me. go to a game, whether it be a kid's game or an, a major league baseball game, whatever, and the number of people who are filming it. And I always do have that thought of what he's saying. Who's watching those later? Seriously, or fireworks? Yeah, yeah. Who's watching those? Like at 4th of July, no one's watching your fireworks. Yeah, and so I think he makes a great point in saying, just be present. I, I do appreciate what he's saying there, the college football attendance aside, that I do believe our obsession with being connected and being on social media, being on our phones, being on our tablets has made us less present. And I think that's dangerous and it's getting worse in the next generation. I watch my own kids and they're not even on their phones a ton, but it's like their default mechanism to be on their phone and to be looking on their phones. And I'm not one of these people who thinks phones are a bad thing. I love it. I've got mine. I'm probably on mine too much. Sometimes during the show, I'm searching stuff and just playing on my phone. Uh, It's a great way to kind of, Take kind of kind of shut your brain down a little bit. But I do think he makes a great point about presence that as as a culture, we seem to be losing the ability to be present, whether it's being out to dinner. I love I know of people and I've read where people will be out in groups and everyone has to stack their phones and whoever reaches and takes their phone first has to pay for the bill. Yeah, great. Like when you're out to dinner, whether it be a date or whether it be a group of people, you don't need your phone. You right. don't need to be on it. When you're at a game, when you're at your kids' games, when you're at your, you know, things at school for your kids, or don't not even at things. I've got one, friends. Yeah. And I'm pointing my finger a little bit at myself for as sure. much as out at other people. Uh, when you're in, at home, adults, moms, dads, when you're at home, uh, put the phone 
on a shelf and be with your kids. Mm. And then maybe in a couple hours, go check your phone, right? Like you might think, well, I can't survive without being connected. Guess what? You survived for a long time in your life without being that connected. I I totally agree with you. And actually there's an interesting stat, uh, something that came out today. Uh, 88% of Americans look at a phone. They admit to looking at a phone. While they eat, yeah, and they only have while a, they eat. Yeah, while they eat, and it's 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 like either their phone or a TV or something. They only have five total screenless meals a week. Yeah, see, so that's hard, man. Yeah, uh, meals, being present at home, being present at major events. That's where I think Fitzgerald's on to something here. This does have a little get out, get off my lawny a little bit. It has a little bit of it, it's I I you know the attendance thing, whatever. Uh, but I do think he is tapping into a frustration of his own that is a bad – it is something that is a societal struggle, I think. And that is the the inability to be present, that we're constantly distracted. And I'm guilty as charged on that one. But I would encourage you to look at your own life and say, hey, uh, is that something that I struggle with? Well, coming up next here on The Common Good, I'm going to talk about a sad story from the Christian world. Uh, uh, the husband of a Christian writer – uh, tragically dying and and, and kind of what those kind of bring up for us and some thoughts that I had on this tragic story. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today on this Thursday evening. It's almost the weekend, folks. We're getting there. It is almost the weekend. We hope you got big plans, big summer plans coming this weekend. Ian Simpkins normally joins us, but he is not here today. Uh, Ian is uh, teaching at a conference for high school students uh, up in northern Wisconsin. So praying that that goes well and uh, that uh, he's I know his family is going to be joining him, too. So hopefully he gets a little rest and relaxation as well, even in the midst of the craziness. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by uh, your comment. Uh, and uh, you can always find our podcast wherever it is you find podcasts. And uh, you find it there, The Common Good Radio Show. And uh, you can subscribe, rate, review. Thanks to those of you who do listen on the podcast. We know there's a lot of you. So uh, that's how a lot of you consume our show. And uh, we're excited uh, about that. Well, I wanted to take uh, a minute to talk about a tragic story that many of you may have seen floating around Twitter. It just happened this week. Uh, and it's, it, it starts, there's a Christian writer by the name of Shannon Dingle. Uh, Shannon Dingle. Uh, is a blogger and an activist who has written extensively about sexual abuse and the hashtag church to movement and disability rights. Uh, she's a pretty prolific author and uh, her husband died in a very freakish accident in a, at a beach in North Carolina this weekend. And again, a sad story, um, but it was one that's really been on my mind as I read it and would like to uh, just kind of wrestle with it. Lee Dingle is his name, age 37 He was playing with his children on Oak Island when a wave hit him so hard that he crashed into the sand and broke his neck and died right there in the sand. And she went to Facebook uh, and announced it. And she said this, my partner, my love and my home died Friday, July 19th after a freak accident. She posted on her blog. I wasn't supposed to be saying goodbye at 37. I don't know how to be a grown up without him, but I learn. I just wish I didn't have to. The couple met in their late teens and went on to raise six children, four of whom were adopted, including a daughter, Zoe, who has a cerebral palsy. 
Her adoption from Taiwan was documented by the Archibald Project uh, to educate uh, about orphans and vulnerable children. Uh, they adopted three other children, siblings from Uganda. Lee Dingle was a president of Atlas Engineering in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, his wife has written moving pieces about the abuse from numerous publications, uh, including uh, USA Today and other places. Uh, and so just wrestling with this accident. And now there's been a GoFundMe page um, that was set up that has raised over $200,000 already. And there's a great outpouring. And uh, at the, the, the first point about this story is that it is so overwhelmingly tragic. Uh, this is a husband and wife who seem to be doing good things and um, adopted uh, four kids, had six kids total, uh, a, a child with cerebral palsy, three, three, a set of three siblings from Uganda. Like they were doing good work. Uh, he was he was doing stuff. She was doing stuff. And to die just playing with your kids because a wave hits you. And we've all been, I don't know, I grew up around the ocean and there are days where the waves are rough and it tosses you around and you get knocked around. I remember I have a buddy, we used to uh, vacation with a family in North Carolina and uh, his mom was riding a boogie board and it, this huge wave crashed her at the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And years later, a doctor was like, did you ever break your neck? Like, I think she just fractured a bone, never knowing. And so you can see how these types of things happen. But I've never heard a story like this where a crashing of a wave knocks somebody over into the sand and boom, just a broken neck and death. And so it reminds us of something. And that is just the fragility of life. And again, this is a heavy topic. I'm fully aware of that. You might you might be like, hey, I just worked a full day. I'm driving home. What the heck? Well, I, you know what? The Bible talks a lot about the fragility of life. You, uh, the book of James says life is a mist and uh, we don't ha- have control over when it starts and when it ends. And uh, this family was just vacationing on the beach, just having fun. And then this happens and it just reminds us about the fragility of life. And so that truth about how fragile life is and can be can be completely overwhelming. Uh, It can really cause us fear. It could cause us hopelessness. It could cause us to just live melancholy and like, well, what's the point? Uh, But as Christians, that can't be the end result for us. But instead, when we are reminded of the fragility of life, I think that then gives us a perspective that says, so I'm going to live my days, weeks, months, years, hopefully on this earth with great purpose, uh, with an eye towards eternity and my ultimate home. And so let me break that down. First, it says this. First, we go to because we don't know how many years we have live with an urgency to make an eternal impact and a difference here while we have time. Don't just kind of sail through your days without purpose or without thought. Uh, don't get scared by what can come, but instead uh, remind yourself that while I'm on earth for me to live as Christ, for me to, is to live on mission and to uh, live uh, as Jesus has called me to do, to know him and to make him known, to go and make disciples. And so the first thing this story does for me, and I want it to do for all of us is to ask this question. Uh, am I living with any sort of urgency that says that this life is fragile, that that bad things happen uh, is is does my life show any sort of urgency that says for me to live as Christ? This is just a mist uh, and and I'm going to live with urgency. I would challenge you with that. Secondly, what does the fragility of life tell us? Secondly, it reminds us 
that because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, this while this world is full of brokenness, like the tragedy of this story, while this world is full of death, while this world is full of sin, while this world is full of brokenness, heartache, a lot of you out there could be going through things right now that are just overwhelming you and maybe not as tragic as this, but it's overwhelming, broken relationships, broken friendships, psychological problems, money, pro- whatever else it might be. We are reminded again that this world is not all that there is. And that could be hard to remember, especially when we just kind of go day to day and we can become overwhelmed. But some of you out there need to hear this. This world is not all that there is. Uh, the book uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, right? He says, where O death is your victory, where O death is your sting, uh, the, the the power of sin is death and, and the sting of death is a law, right? Like I'm, I'm butchering those a little bit, but then he goes, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The message that Paul is giving there is this death doesn't win. Brokenness doesn't win. Sin doesn't win. Jesus wins and has won by coming and living and dying, rising again, defeating sin and death for all time so that we may have life, so that we may have hope, so that may, that we may have life eternal. And now that drives everything we do now. So if you're out there struggling, I wanted to just remind you of that. I want to remind you that though life can be overwhelming, the struggles of this day, the struggles of this world are not ultimate. They are not ultimate. This is not all that there is. And because of that, you can hold on at the end of those ver- verses uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, Paul basically says, you know, where o death is, your, where o death is your victory, where o death is your sting. Uh, he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore uh, keep going, right? Uh, live with purpose, keep going And uh, I wanted to remind us of that. This story kind of shook me up when I read it. I read it in a couple different places and a lot of people just go and I don't know how to get my mind around it. And as the Christ follower, while tragic, we have to have hope even in the midst of tragedy like this. So here's a couple things I want you to do. I want you to pray, pray for that family, Uh, pray for Shannon Dingle and her six kids who must just be in a fog and unbelievably sad and just not even aware of which way is up. Be praying for them. And two, for your own life, be reminded uh, that this is not all that there is. Sin and death are not ultimate. No matter what is going on in your life, it does not need uh, to define you and overwhelm you because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that death doesn't win, but Jesus wins. Jesus has won when he went to the cross, and we can hold on to that. We can find great hope in that. And even in the midst of brokenness and struggle, heartache and pain, even to the point of tragic death, we can run to the feet of Jesus and there find hope for me to live as Christ to die as gain. We can hold on to that perspective and, and not be overwhelmed, sad. Uh, we can be hurting, uh, but not despondent uh, and overwhelmed. So a sad story. Be, be praying for them. I really do mean that. I don't say that flippantly. Be praying for them. And uh yeah, allow those, those things to make you ask some hard questions. So, well, coming up next here on The Common Good, Tom Brady, superstar NFL quarterback, has been in the news for a very weird reason this week. I want to talk about that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, Usually alongside Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not here today. Uh, Ian is going to be out for a couple days. 
teaching at a camp in northern Wisconsin for high school students from his church. So be praying for Ian and his family as they're up there. Uh, and we'll be doing a couple different things each day. In fact, tomorrow uh, on Friday's show, I'm going to have in studio for a little while, uh, selfishly, one of my old college roommates, which is going to be a lot of fun. But he is a junior high principal. So we're going to talk about junior hires. We're going to talk about the next generation. We're going to talk about uh, maybe we'll even get in some old college stories. John, I might get fired tomorrow if these old college stories come out. That that might be the problem. Uh, you know, we always got to toe the line every now and again. Uh, I'm not fun. sure there's going to be any towing of the line tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I have the button. Don't yeah, worry. I, I got the button. The button. I, I don't know if I'll lose my job as a pastor, a radio host, or he'll lose his as a uh, junior high principal. But it's going to be fun. Uh, excited for that tomorrow. And uh, next week, we've got some other great guests planned, hopefully, along the way. So, uh but anyway, closing up, as we get near the end of this Thursday afternoon, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you do your podcasting. That could be uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is you find podcasts, you can find our podcast there. We're grateful when you subscribe, rate, review, go ahead uh, and do that. Well, Tom Brady, not my favorite football player in the world, uh, the New England Patriots. I think people either love them or hate them. Uh, although you do know, uh, John, that two of Tom Brady's worst losses, uh, two of his Super Bowl losses have been to my favorite team, the New York Giants. So I always I always like to remind my Patriot fans of that. Eli Manning and the Giants taking them down twice. But the t- catch Tom. Yes, it was Tom Brady. It, by any metric is Maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, if not the greatest, he's top two or three, right? He's going to go down in that, deservedly so. Uh, But he was in the news this week, and he was in the news for a bit of a strange reason. It says this, I'm reading this from CNN.com. Tom Brady is being dad-shamed after diving off a cliff with his six-year-old daughter. NFL superstar Tom Brady made a splash after he posted a video of a cliff dive he took with his young daughter. The video posted on Friday on the New England Patriot quarterback's Instagram page uh, shows Brady and his daughter, Vivi, Uh, standing near the edge of a cliff. In the heart-pounding video, Brady grabs his daughter's hand, counts to three, and then leaps off the cliff with her straight into the water. It's not clear where when the video was recorded. Uh, And then it goes on and on. Here's the issue. If you've seen the video of this, um, if if you've seen the video of this, you know that Tom Brady... Uh, and his daughter. It was a really sweet moment. They're they're standing on this cliff, and I'd encourage you to Google it. And he goes one, two, three, and then he jumps while holding her hand, and she freezes and doesn't jump, and so he kind of jumps and pulls her with him, and kind of launches her almost to a belly flop. I, I watched it, yeah. and it, what scared me wasn't the fact that she wasn't ready. Is it she? Her foot was probably three, not even three feet from the rocks below. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's I could tell, if I could, I could list out the dumb things my dad has done with yep. us, and like if 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 like that's what I'm saying. Ten years ago, social media was just it was in its infancy, and yep. five years prior to that was when I was probably this girl's age. And I can I can name going to the sand dudes in Michigan. My dad just like jumping with us off of like one of the cliff edges on the sand dune. It was soft sand below, it was almost like snow, so you could jump into it. And you know, it was just dumb stuff. Yes, yeah, some of us got hurt. He got hurt too. But it was—I wouldn't say it's 
irresponsible. Right. I we, would say it's like a, a little bit thoughtless, a little bit kind of care we, carefree. Yeah, we've all done dumb stuff. Yeah. And and this I'd encourage you to watch the video because there is this moment you're like, oh, and it's just because the girl freezes. Yeah. But um here's the concept I want to get at. One of the things that really bothers me about our culture is they use the phrase here in CNN, dad shamed, but this whole concept of people uh uh people uh, lecturing other parents and other people about how they should do this or they should do that yeah. is I think a really um, bothersome to me part of our culture. Let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. Uh, so uh, everybody thinks that they have now uh, they're the first ones to have children. And so one of the things, especially once you have kids on social media is people uh, telling you, this is how you should get your kid to sleep. This is how you should do this. This is how you should potty train. This is the way you should school your kids. This is what you should do here. And I get that that's not what's going on here. People were legitimately like, oh, you must hurt your daughter. But she was fine. And um, I, it bothers me that people think that they have this this ability to like tell other people how to parent, tell other people how to be married, tell other people. I don't yeah. know where we became that as and a culture. And the mistakes don't happen yeah i think when, it's, when when something happens they automatically jump on the the bandwagon as if they've haven't run into a brick wall yeah f- f- philosophically speaking here's, obviously but like here's your role as the parent just just raise them as best you can yeah and this is you're, you're not recreating the wheel so if you don't do uh if you don't put them to sleep the same way other people do if you've got to do other things like it's okay like Show yourself a little bit of grace. And I know that's not exactly what this is about, but I want to get on a little bit of a soapbox here. If you're somebody who lectures other parents about how they should parent, please stop that. Like you're not God's gift to parenting. You did not create something new. Parenting's been going on for a long time. This is a total get off my lawn moment, isn't it right now, man? Parenting's been around for a long time. You didn't create it. And if one person wants to put their kid to sleep this way while another person does it this way, if one person wants to feed their kids this and another person wants to to give their kid mac and cheese, I understand that there's criminal stuff that where, yes, we do need to step in or abuse stuff. But I'm talking more of the kind of surfacey stuff. If you're one of those people who lectures people online about the way they parent, please stop, because that's a really annoying thing that our culture does. If you're one of those people who just lectures people in general, just stop. Like, it's okay, Tom Brady. Uh, he, from all, from all, uh, things online or stories written about him, he's a pretty good dad. He's a pretty good dad. Loves his kids, spend time with his kids. And, uh, even if this was even a minor mistake in something, that's okay. Kids. Okay. And, uh, sometimes I feel like we take ourselves so seriously that even on a bigger scale off of parenting or whatever, but just in general, like you don't need to share your opinion about everything. And we do that. That's our social media world. Your opinion doesn't need to be given about everything. And I think our culture, quite frankly, would be a lot better off if people weren't giving their opinions about everything. So, uh, John, I do know that it's interesting for somebody who has a microphone to share his opinion about everything at all times to be saying that. But, man, it's one of my least favorite things that people do when they share opinions when they weren't asked for them about other people's lives. Boy, right. This is an this is it's it's about being opportunistic. Yeah, you're. You're at a radio station behind a microphone, <laughs> I know. so it's kind of a time and place situation yeah, yeah. here. You, you don't, you're not asked or obligated. I get it. There's a comment section, and those, in fact, were comments, but there were there were pretty uh, abrasive comments. 
This was the third story on, I forget if it was the Today Show or Good Morning America the other day, that Tom Brady jumped off a cliff and it scared some people. People have been talking about it for a while. Oh, my goodness. And I get it. If you haven't watched it, go home and watch it. Go ahead and watch it and Google it. Uh, it, it there's a moment where it's a little dicey. But it's like it's kind of like, like yeah. if like my hand was this close to the but, stove, I'd be going, Ugh. But you but know it, what? It doesn't mean that you need to go jump in and tell the guy how to like parent his kids. Right. And on a bigger scale, like I'll ask you if I want to know uh, what you think I should do in my life. And you can ask me, but it doesn't mean just because you post something that I can lecture you or I can tell you my opinion. Like our culture has become so opinion driven and it happens at churches, man. It happens at everywhere where people will just want to share their opinion about something, even if they've never been asked. And, you know, your opinion, while maybe important to you, isn't important to everybody at all times. And so maybe if we were a little less opinionated and a little more gracious, uh, maybe maybe, uh, maybe I'd have a brighter view of our culture. And I, I can be dark. I'm total get off my lawn guy today. Well, Clearly. You were, you were this way last here's week, what, <laughs> so, Here's what we've learned. We need Ian back. Apparently, I'm the <laughs> pessimist. Apparently, I'm the dark one. So You're the straight one. Give us your feedback. Give it to us at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Well, we're going to give some levity to end the show here on this Thursday. Just crazy stories from the internet uh, for you and I to share from the minds of our producers. Uh, That is what's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Unfortunately, not joined by Ian Simpkins today. Ian is still out of town. Uh teaching high school kids up in northern Wisconsin from his church. So praying that that goes well for him. Looking forward to him coming back. But we end the show the same way every time, whether it's both of us here, one of us here. Uh, And that is craziness that has been found on the Internet, usually by our executive producer, Keith Conrad. I believe he might have handed that mantle over to our our producer, John. Uh, Is this on you again? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm willing to say. That means it is. <laughs> that means it is. Uh, the sound bites, though, are still from Keith. So here we go. Uh, all that all that you need to know is these are not from me. And so if they make you mad, I'm mad with you. So don't don't blame me. Here we go. Florida. Florida. Horrifying moment. Zombie chicken breast comes back to life and crawls off dining table as diner screams in terror. This is crazy. The terrifying moment when a piece of raw chicken appears to come back to life on a restaurant table has been caught on video. Footage shows a plate of raw meat on a restaurant table when a piece of chicken begins to twitch. After hoisting itself upwards, the carcass yanks itself off the diner's plate as a terrified onlooker can be heard screaming. The footage was posted to Facebook by Florida woman Ree Phillips two weeks ago and has already been viewed four million times. It's unclear where it took place, but chopsticks on a plate would suggest it was a Japanese, Chinese, or Korean restaurant. People posted comments suggesting the movements were caused by nerve endings Gosh, that had not died. That is crazy. They prefer to be called the living impaired. <laughs> <laughs> I'll post that uh, after the show. Today. That is nuts. It's terrifying. It's like, what is that? You, can you post the actual video? Yeah. Oh, yeah, please sure. do. Please do. Next one, Kentucky. Man attacked man with weed eater over stolen candy bars. A recently released arrest citation shed light on an incident in Pike County, uh, Kentucky, that ended with one man attacked uh, when one man attacked another with a weed eater. 
According to uh, WYMT, Pikeville police officers were called to Jefferson Street on a report of two men fighting. When they arrived, officers said they found a man suffering from multiple wounds all over his body. Officers say the victim told them that Randall Fordyce had attacked him with a weed eater repeatedly, even as the victim retreated back into his apartment. Officers were able to track down Fordyce. Uh, who reportedly told officers the fight started because the victim was stealing candy bars from him. Hidely ho, neighborinos! <laughs> I think he made that. That's a custom drop. That one fantastic. fits perfectly. Next one's Ohio. Award-winning lamb under investigation for performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> An award-winning lamb is currently under investigation and may be stripped of its title after veterinarians at the Logan County Fair in Ohio found illegal drugs in its system. Uh, performance-enhancing drugs have transcended from sport to livestock as the grand champion lamb was given a performance-enhancing diuretic, which is banned from competition because it makes the animal's muscles feel Leaner. The Ohio Department of Agriculture is spearheading the investigation into lamb PED use, although it doesn't seem to be as rampant as steroid use in baseball during the 1990s. It's not clear what will happen to the owner other than uh, owner after the investigation is complete. The lamb is currently being held until all the drugs are flushed out of its system. After that, it will be sent to slaughter and taken to market. I am Hans. And I am Franz, and we, we just, just want to pop you up. That's awesome. And that they just threw in, it's going to slaughter is a little sad. England. Seagull carries away dog from garden. A dog owner has asked for help to be reunited with her miniature chihuahua. Is there any other kind? Aren't all chihuahuas miniature? Well, I think there's the regulars. It's all like relative. All right. So like there's a bigger chihuahua, but it's still like 10 pounds. You, you could tell how small it is because a seagull took it from the garden. Oh, my God. Becca Hill, age 24, has appealed for information about her four-year-old gizmo who's carried away on Sunday afternoon. Uh, my friend was in the garden putting the washing out at the time, and suddenly he saw it swoop down. It carried Gizmo a fair way as we couldn't see him anymore. I have no idea if he was dropped or where he is now. Please, 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 anyone who finds a chihuahua, he's mine. A seagull took him from the garden. The search resumed on Monday with leaflets uh, all over the area, but they still have not been able to find the chihuahua. Yeah, that's... I mean, we could have added a dog bark. So, so I grew up by the Jersey, not, not too far from the Jersey Shore. So we okay. went there a lot. when those seagulls, when they see food, aggressive. So Seriously. I could see a miniature chihuahua going. Last one. Last one's uh, far away from Indo in Indonesia. Indonesia man walking 500 miles across the country backward. Okay. An Indonesia man is on a quest to walk 500 miles across the country while facing backward to raise awareness of forest preservation. Makes sense. Yeah. Medi Bastoni, age 43, set out of, from his home village of Dono and is hiking backward 500 miles to arrive in time in Jakarta for Independence Day celebrations August 17th. Bastoni is walking with the use of a rearview mirror, allowing him to keep an eye on his path without turning his head. The walker said he's hoping to meet in Jakarta with President Joko Widodo, who he plans to ask for a symbolic seed to be planted on the slopes of Mount Willis. Hmm. Bastoni said environmental activists are making progress with pers- preserving the forests around Mount Willis, but a symbolic seed from the president would go a long way toward raising awareness to his efforts. You're going the wrong way! <laughs> he said we're going the wrong way! Oh, he's drunk! How would he know where we're going? <laughs> I mean, hey, if walking backwards gets what you need 500 miles, uh, then, you know, 
I guess go for it. That seems very random. Using a rear view mirror is kind of cheating, wouldn't you think? I, I don't think there are rules for walking backwards 500 miles to make a point. Well, on that note, uh, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. Hope you join us tomorrow. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.